Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 15. John 15, and this morning we're going to study John 15 verses 1 through 11. There, say amen. Amen. So I'll start reading beginning at verse 1. This is John 15, starting at verse 1. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Here's what he says He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself Unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain, remain, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let us pray. God, we thank you that we just have this wonderful opportunity to study your word this morning. God, I pray uh, for the people of God this morning that we would all grow in our faith. If there is a person here this morning, God, that is not in relationship with you, um, Lord, we pray that they would hear and respond to the good news today. Uh, Lord, I pray that ultimately this message brings light to your son. I pray that he will be exalted on today, God. And so, Father, I pray that everything that, that comes from my mouth, God, I pray that it, that it brings glory to your name. And so, Father, draw us to you today, God. Grow us in ways that we can't even imagine today. And so, Father, I don't want us to waste a Sunday today. I, I want today to count. I want us to be transformed through the preaching of the Word of God. So, Lord, help us to study. Lord, help us to focus this morning. We pray that the Holy Spirit would 
allow us to, to hear well and to receive well, and, and that we would not just be hearers, but that we would be doers of the word. And so, uh, Lord, help us to study today. Help us to, to, to read and preach through your word today. And so, Father, we pray that you be glorified today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and the people of God said, Amen. Maybe seated in the Lord's presence from the sermon series, Faithful. My sermon title this morning is, We Are Called to Fruitfulness. We are called to fruitfulness. I want to be honest with you from the outset that, 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 I, that I've sinned, that I've, I've sinned, I've sinned recently. Um, I, I came down with a case of covetousness. I, I actually coveted my neighbor's lawn. I coveted my neighbor's lawn. Uh, I came down with a case of the keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, this past summer, we invested in a palm tree. We invested in a palm tree. I call it an investment because it was very expensive. And so to call it an investment is the only way I can make it make sense in my head and my heart. And, and so we, we invested in a, a palm tree. I saw my neighbor's beautiful palm tree. And every morning I would come out, it would just be waving at me, just waving high and tall. It made the lawn look so so beautiful. And so I, I wanted a palm tree. So we saved up some money over time and we, we finally got a palm tree and the guy came and he planted the palm tree for us. And I was so proud of this palm tree. And I'm just expecting the day after he planted it for the palm tree to grow up and be 20 feet tall. And, and I'm just looking at the palm tree and watching. But after a few days, I realized that the palms on the palm tree were turning brown. They started out light brown. Then they were a little more medium brown. And then they were just straight up caramel palm trees. And, and so I was like, this is a problem for me. This is a, I got the wrong palm tree. So, so I called the guy. I said, hey, man, uh, you, you brought us a, a fake palm tree. This is a fake palm tree. And he said, no, that's, that's, that's normal. And, and so I, I went on Google and I became a gardener overnight. And so I realized that I had to do some stuff to the palm tree. I actually had to go out there and cut some of the fronds off the palm tree. And so I did this, and and I realized shortly after I watered it and went and bought a little palm tree fertilizer and put it down, and I saw the little green palms, the green fronds coming off, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is is it. This is what I long for. And and, and then like uh, two, two or three weeks later when it did rain, the fronds started turning brown again. So this is a problem. So I went back outside and did the whole thing all over again. I, I trimmed those fronds and, and peeled those fronds off that, that were turning brown. And, and lo and behold, they, they, they turned green again and the tree started to look healthy. Well, it, three weeks went by and it did the same thing after it didn't rain. And so I realized that I don't think I want a palm tree anymore. <laughs> this, is, this is work. I didn't plan on being a gardener. I didn't go to school for this. But, but what, I, what I realized is, is that anytime you plant something that is supposed to grow, at some point, you have to prune it. At some point, you have to prune it if it's going to grow and it's going to be healthy. Now, with that being said, if you go in our yard right now, there are some brown fronds on our palm tree. And I'm about to give up because I think I want a palm tree. I want a different palm tree. I want my neighbor's palm tree. So you pray for me. You pray for me. And so I am looking not for my palm, but I'm looking for another palm, a true palm. And I think that kind of coincides 
with what's happening in the text today. This is Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. This means that in, in 24 hours or so, Jesus is about to be arrested and go to the cross where he would die on the cross for our sins. You, you know about that. And so the, the farewell discourse to his disciples is going to serve as an encouragement to them, encouragement, encouragement to them to let them to do two things. For one, for them to stay the course, to stay the course, stay the course, but also he's giving them encouragement to let them know that, that they are going to be all right because they will have God's help. Two things that he's trying to encourage them to do. Number one, stay the course. And number two, hold on just a little a while because help is on the way. If we read chapter 14, we know that he promised to give them a counselor, a helper, a, a paraclete, that someone that will come along and help them. That's the Holy Spirit that he says he's sending the Holy Spirit so that they will be able to go out and do everything that he has commanded them to do. And so we know that God has called his disciples to go out, to, to go. But what you may not realize is that just as much as there is a call for us to go, there's also a call for us to remain. And so, yes, we are called to go. You know the Great Commission. He tells us to go, therefore, go, therefore, make disciples of the nations. But what if I told you that the success of our going is predicated on our remaining? That, that we can't have success in going unless we remain. Now, I know that creates some sort of dichotomy for you, but God has structured the life and call of the believer in such a way that the success and quality of our call is predicated on our willingness to remain in him. And that means to be a follower of Jesus more first about staying than it is about going. This is important because the life of someone that is a follower of Jesus is a life that has a responsibility to bear fruit. And the only way to do that is for us to remain in him. And so in order to communicate this truth to his disciples, Jesus uses an illustration that would have been familiar with the disciples and his earlier readers because they lived in what's called an agrar a gregarian culture. They live in a farming culture. So he uses something practical and common to them to communicate a spiritual truth that they would have been familiar with this agricultural language. And so he uses this and Jesus says this, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. This is the seventh of the last I am sayings of Jesus that are found in the gospel of John. And in the I am sayings, Jesus is staking his, uh, letting them know his identity. He's telling them who he is, his person and his ministry. But this particular I am statement is not just a surface level illustration. They would have been all too familiar with this illustration. It would have been striking for him for them when he said I am the vine because the vine was the symbol for Old Testament Israel. The vine was the symbol for Israel. And so in the Old Testament, if you read through it, Israel is referred to as the vine. They are referred to as the vine. They were the vine that God had planted that was supposed to bear fruit for God. By, by the way they lived and the message they shared, they were to bear fruit for God and they were to fulfill God's mission to mediate his blessings to the nation. God called them. He planted them. They were supposed to be his vine that would bear fruit by sharing the life of God and the message of God with the nations that were surrounding them. However, they failed 
time and time again to be who God called them to be. And when we see Israel referred to as a vine in the Old Testament, it is always in the context of a rebuke and a judgment. I want to read something with you this morning. Psalm 80 Verses 8 through 16 says this, and this is talking, the psalmist is talking about the vine. He, he says this, and he's talking about God. He says, you dug up a vine from Egypt. Let me pause with you right there. We talked about the Exodus last week, right? And before he gave him the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord, that God that brought you out of the land of what? Out of the land of Egypt. So here the psalmist says, you dug up a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared a place for it. It took root. It filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shade and the mighty cedars with its its branches. It sent out sprouts toward the sea and shoots toward the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its fruit? Boars from the forest tear at it and creatures of the field feed on it. Return, God of armies. Look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine, the root your right hand planted, the sun you made strong for yourself. This is a, ref- a reference to Israel. It was cut down and burned. They perished at the rebuke of your countenance. Why did they perish? Because they were refusing to be who he called them to be. So much so that when the prophet Jeremiah speaks, God speaks through them, through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2, 21 says, I planted you a choice vine from the very best seed. How then could you turn into a degenerate foreign vine they fail to be fruitful and Jesus comes on the scene and he says I am the true vine here's what he's saying in this I am statement he is saying I am everything that Israel was supposed to be I am everything that they, they were supposed to be. I succeed where they fail. I accomplish what they fail to accomplish. Where they are fruitless vine, I will bear much fruit. I am faithful where Israel has been faithless. Jesus is saying, I am who they were supposed to be. And so what we see is when Jesus entered into the world and decided, he he made a corporate solidarity with Israel by taking upon himself their failures and becomes the mediator of God's blessings to the nations that they were always intended to be. And so he does what Israel could not do for themselves. He is the true vine. He is the true vine. He is the one that is fruitful. He is the one that is obedient. He is the vine that is faithful. Where they fail, he succeeds. And he says, I'm not the only one, but my father is the gardener. You see, Jesus, the son and the father are inseparable. The son and the father are one. They work in tandem along with the Holy Spirit. They, they, they work in tandem. They, they, they are inseparable. And so when he says that my father is the gardener, I'm the vine, and my father is the gardener. I told you I'm a semi-pro gardener. I was going out there, and I was cutting fronds so that it would flourish, so that the palm tree would flourish and be green and beautiful, and the father is the gardener. He's cutting away and throwing away that which is useless and fruitless but he's pruning that which is fruit 
foe. He cuts away what does not belong, but he prunes that which is growing. This is what the Father does. He is ensuring that the vine is connected to the fruitful branches. We are the branches on the vine. We, we are the branches on the vine. If you are in a relationship with Christ, you are a branch. We together corporately are the branches. We, the church, stand in solidarity with Christ just the way Israel did. Not only does he take on our failures, but we are in him. And so where he succeeds, we also succeed. We get his sufferings, but we also get his successes. He has imputed his righteousness to us. And so we, we succeed where he succeeds. His call is our call. He is in us and we are in him. We have a solidarity with him. And so we are the fruit producing branches that are continuing the mission of God. The process for us, the process of fruitfulness, this is important. The process of fruitfulness began the moment you and I got saved. This is what verse 3 is all about. Verse 3 says you are already clean Because of the word I have spoken to you, he's talking about the message of the gospel. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. For us, it's the the message of the gospel about the sinless life of Jesus, his substitutionary death in our place that brought forth our forgiveness and his subsequent resurrection from the grave. When we heard that message, when we trusted and believed in that, we rested our faith on that, he began the process in us of us being fruitful. So... We are the fruit-bearing branches. Let me say this. Fruit is not a requirement of faith. So so some people, I'm going to try to be fruitful first, and then God will save me. I'm going to try to clean up my act, and God will save me. If I get my attitude right, God will save me. If I, if I, if I, just let me become a little bit more patient, God will save me. Let, let me stop sleeping around a little bit, and then God will save me. Let, let me stop doing all the, the lying and the stealing, and then God will save me. Let me stop doing these sins, and then God will save me. No, 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 no. Fruit is not a requirement of faith. Fruit is a symptom of faith. You, you can't produce fruit on your own. You, you can't do, you need God to do that. And so we produce fruit not to get saved. We produce fruit because we have been saved. Are you following me? And so ultimately, if we know this, fruit is brought about by God. It is the work of God. It is the work of God through the Holy Spirit. And so when God saves us, he begins the process of bearing fruit in our lives. We don't do this on our own. It is not by works. It is by faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's his work, not ours. So five things, five points this morning that I want to give to you from our text. Number one, God's plan is for us to be fruitful. It's number one. God's plan is for us to be fruitful. Number two, God's plan includes painful but purposeful pruning. You're going to need that. Thirdly, God's plan for fruitfulness includes God's supernatural help. That's good news for us because we don't do it on our own. Number four, God's plan includes purposeful prayer. Number five, God's plan includes joyful obedience. Number one, because I know you're still writing. Give me some time before I take it off the screen. I'm mindful. 
but I can't lie, oftentimes we take it off the screen fast. You guys gas all at the same time. <gasps> I kind of enjoy that, but I'll, I'll spare you this morning. God's plan is for us to be fruitful. God's plan includes painful, but purpose for pruning. God's plan for fruitfulness includes God's supernatural help. That's so good. God's plan includes purposeful prayer. And five, God's plan includes joyful obedience. So let me say this first before we get to those. I want to give you a warning. In this text, and particularly in verse six, he says that the father takes away anything connected to the vine that does not bear fruit. He takes away, he removes it. Because here's what it assumes, that there is no way to be connected to the vine and not bear fruit. To say that you are in the vine but have no fruit is to say that you're not connected or you never were connected to begin with. And and so this is a a serious warning for us not to fall away from the faith, right? so, So we don't fall away from the faith because there's no way you can say you're Christian and then like, ah, you know, I'm not bearing fruit, and so this is, you know, I'll just say I'm a Christian in name, but, 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 but I, I won't live in awareness of the, the Holy Spirit's help to help me live and be like Christ. And so th- this is a warning for us. This is a warning for us. If you have acknowledged you need a Savior and have trusted Christ for your salvation, that same God that saved you will keep you and he will change you. Let me say this again. The same God that saved you will keep you, and he's powerful enough to change you. He's powerful enough to change you. If you bear the name of Jesus and there's never been any genuine, authentic change, I'm not being mean or condemning you, but that you might not be a Christian. If your life is the exact same way or worse than it was before you started following Jesus, you may not be a Christian. Now, when I say your life is not better, I'm not talking about materialistic stuff. I'm talking about your character. Right? This is about your character. If you never desire what God desires, you may not be saved. I'm not saying that won't be a struggle with sin, but, but there, there should be a struggle because a struggle is a sign of life. Dead people don't struggle. If you've never experienced conviction that causes you to change course on your decisions, you may not be connected to the vine. And this today is an opportunity for you to repent and trust in Christ for your salvation. If you've been trying to do it on your own and change on your own and will yourself to change, maybe you have not rested in Christ This is what happens to Israel for them to be thrown away. Is that there was no fruit that came from them. Matthew 7, 19 through 20, this is what Jesus says. Every tree that doesn't produce fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 20 is so beautiful. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. How will people know I'm a believer? Because I'll bear fruit. So what does it mean to produce fruit? What what, what is fruit? Let's first establish what fruit is not. Fruit is not more money. Fruit is not a house. Fruit is not a car. 
Fruit is not with a, re- a relationship with a person other than Jesus. That's what fruit is not. Material things are God's blessing and provision, but they're not the fruit that this passage is communicating. The question then becomes, are we talking about fruit as in character or fruit as in mission? Some scholars argue that this is solely about character. Some say this is about the mission of God, doing the mission, the work of God, the the ministry of Jesus, doing evangelism, the the work of ministry. But I I think to to say it's, it's one thing is too narrow of a scope. I believe that it's both. It's both. I believe that it's both because one leads into the other. But first and foremost, it is about Christ-like character. Galatians 5, through 23, you've read this a million times if you've been in church. But the fruit of the Spirit, fruit, it's, it's like they're one, they're, one, they're one cluster. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Let's say the last one all out loud. And, and whoo, you sound so good. But if we don't have any of these, but we have the activities, the activities don't matter. Right? The, 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 these Fruit must be increasingly uh, evident in our lives as believers. To, to not have evidence of being connected to the vine is to deny the power of the gospel. Right? God's salvation is not just, I saved you. Woo! Do as you will. No, no, God saves us, and then the process called sanctification continually makes us look more like Jesus. And so the, the, the power of the gospel is, is comprehensive in that it saves us and radically transforms us over time. And, and so spiritual fruit is, one, the work of God, and it's also the evidence of the power of God in the life of Christians. Let me say this again. Spiritual fruit is the work of God, and it's also the evidence of the power of God in the life of the Christian. We are the evidence of the power of God. The way we live is evidence of the power of God, that the gospel is truly powerful, that it can actually change us. Matter of fact, we prove, our lives prove that the gospel is true. We prove that it's true. Here's what Paul said in Romans 7, Romans 7 and 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. We have been saved to bear fruit. God not only wants us to just bear fruit, he wants us to bear much fruit. (laughs) However, that brings me to my second point. Point number two, God's plan includes painful but purposeful pruning. To prune means to cut cut something away. 
but it's to cut something away. It cuts away something that robs the fruitful ones from the nutrition that they need. Pruning gets rid of the, the, the useless twigs and, and leaves on, on, on something. Useless growths on fruitful branches typically are pruned back to and to are pruned back to improve the quality of the fruit that is coming forward. It, it, it helps it, 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 it helps the quality of the fruit from the fruit-bearing branches. Commonly in their culture, after each year's harvest, the fruitful branches were cut back significantly the 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 gardener or vine dresser was cutting back anything that was stopping the fruitful branches from growing whatever was stopping it from growing he was coming and cutting it back while it's painful more importantly it was meaningful it is a worthwhile process to be pruned because if there is no pruning the fruitful branches will never reach their potential unfruitful branches are you know why they remove unfruitful branches because when unfruitful branches are tied to the fruitful branches the unfruitful branches sap the strength from the fruitful branches some of us don't have any strength because we've been Sometimes the pruning comes because of our own sin. And God says, I got, to, I got to cut this. And oftentimes God uses suffering and loss to prune us. I think that when God prunes those that are bearing fruit, he, he is sanctifying us and he's working something beautiful in us. I need you to hear this cannot make the mistake of getting up too soon while you're being pruned. Because as soon as God starts pruning, you start running. We can't find you. We don't know where you are. All of a sudden, you have a lot going on. But let me tell you something. When God is pruning you, Imagine pruning. I'm never more closer to my palm trees than when I'm cutting on them. My hand is never closer to my palm trees than when I'm cutting them. Let me tell you this. If you feel like you're being pruned right now, God's hand is right on you. God has never been closer to you than he is right now. God's hand is right where you want it to be, and he's working something beautiful in your life. Your pruning might be painful, but your pruning is purposeful. God is using that right now. He might be peeling something away from your life. Don't fret. Don't worry about it. God has you right where he wants you. Let him prune away so that he can make something beautiful of your life. God is making room in your life to bear more fruit. And better than that, the condition of the tree is a testament to the skill of the gardener. 
And let me tell you, you ain't never met a gardener like God. He is the greatest gardener. He can cut you right where he needs to cut you without hurting you. He'll cut you right where you need to be cut without damaging you. And if you have been cut, and if it is painful, he is the exact one that is supposed to be there to heal you. So although pruning is painful, it's purposeful. The psalmist said this, Psalm 119.71, I love this. He said this, he says, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. He's literally saying that, that he's having what, what I call a, I should have listened to God moment. <laughs> you ever had a, I should have listened to God moment? I knew I should have, I knew I should have left right. I knew it was happening. Something told me. You ever had that? He's saying I had this. I didn't appreciate your word until I had to suffer a little while. My suffering got my attention. And in those I should have listened to God moments, you know what we realized? We realized that God knew best all along. If we would have just listened to him. So that takes us from hearing his word as something as a hindrance but you see his word is love because if I would have listened to him it would have led me down the right path but because I didn't listen I ended up getting hurt so maybe although what he told me didn't sound good to me it was actually good for me and it was good for me because he loves me that is the perspective we need about God's word people we don't need to see oh my god there's some other stuff he's telling me to do that's going to keep me from living the life I want to as I said last week, nobody wants better for you than God does. And so, his word to us is his love to us. But I want to say this, the number, the number one fruit that we must possess first and foremost is the fruit of love. This drives all the other ones. It must start with love. It, it, it serves as a motivation for the rest. It starts with loving God, then working out those other fruit by loving people. What are the other? What are the, if if there, one side of it is spiritual fruit, what is the other side? I believe that it includes some mission too. It, it, it also includes joyful obedience. Part of being fruitful is I enjoy obeying God. Get to that in a minute. The other thing is, if, 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 if I have the, the, the fruit of, I, I think love is listed in the spiritual fruit in Galatians 5, I don't think that's an accident. I think love is mentioned first on purpose. Because if we have love, part of the mission in bearing spiritual fruit is loving other people. Some of us are good. Oh, I love God. Ooh, people. Well, that's not the love of God that you have. Because if you have the love of God, you naturally love people. Thirdly, spiritual fruit, fruit is that we will witness to the world. We will be what, the, what, what God intended for Israel to be always, to, to be a witness to the world, to, to communicate the life of God and, and the goodness of God, to, to mediate the blessings of God to the world. We'll tell them the message about God. And so... All that being said, there's spiritual, spiritual character fruit on one side, a call for us to be like Christ, but then there's this, this missional side to it. And so th this is how all of this comes together, because we can't produce fruit without God, which brings me to my third point. God's plan for fruitfulness includes God's supernatural help. This can't be understated. 
God's plan for fruitfulness includes God's supernatural help. Let's read 4 through 7. Remain in me and I in you. In this particular passage, verses 1 through 17 is a section in itself. John 15, 1 through 17, the word remain happens. The word remain is stated 11 times. 11 times in those 17 verses that, that, that highlights the importance of it. Look at what he says, verses 4 through 7. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, on the vine. neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, I in him, produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain Remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Remain. Remain. It literally means to stay right where you are. Stay connected to me. Dwell with me. Live in me. Find meaning in who I am. It's almost as if John is saying, it's almost as he's saying, make, make, make remaining in me your top priority this year. My number one goal this year is to remain in him. No matter what happens, I'm remaining in him. I might change jobs, but I'm remaining in him. I might move on and move to a different location, but I'm going to remain in him. I might get a new house, but I'm going to remain in him. I might change my dress, but I will remain in him. No matter what happens, I'm going to remain in him. As much as the church has been called to go, We can't go and be successful unless we remain and stay to abide in God, to to be constantly dependent and reliant upon the vine. We we draw our strength, our energy, our wisdom, our boldness. Everything that we need comes from remaining. What he's talking about, this is a theological term, he's talking about our union with Christ. We are in a union with Jesus. The moment we got saved, he was in us and we were in him. We are in him and he is in us. We have a union with Christ. We have a solidarity with him the same way we had a solidarity with Adam. Here's what John Calvin said about our union with Christ. Here's what he said. John Calvin said this, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human human race remains useless and of no value to us. Therefore, to share in what he has received from the Father, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. For as I've said, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. To sum up, The Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. So the sole purpose of being fruitful is not so that we can do stuff for God, but so that we can have intimacy with God. And this is something that I think that we miss, that we don't know what it means to abide, to dwell with God, to spend uninterrupted time with him, to live in an awareness of his presence. We're in such a rush. We're always on the go. There's always somewhere to be. There's always something to do. There's always a calendar full of stuff. There's always opportunities for activities. But we got to do a better job of remaining in him. We are tired. We are tired people, no strength, because we haven't been remaining. 
Oh, I'm just tired of my job. I'm tired of church. I'm tired of my family. I'm tired of my kids. I'm tired of my spouse. I'm tired of my friends. I'm just tired. I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. We haven't remained. We haven't abided in Christ. So here's what it means to abide. To continue to trust in him. Moment by moment. moment, To depend on him. To wake up every day and realize, you know what? I can't do anything by myself. God, I need you today. Help me. God, I know I'm smart enough to do this job. But God, I'm not fooled into believing I'm smart enough. I'm only smart enough because you've helped me be smart. This is your wisdom. God, I'm only able to do what I'm doing because you are giving me the grace to do so. God, I need more grace. God, all my bills are paid. But it's not paid because I really work really hard at my job. (laughs) You provided for me. This comes from your hand. And so, Lord, today, give me my daily bread. Even if I fool myself into believing that I got enough bread. If I see food in the refrigerator, God, give me my daily bread. Because even that that I see with my eyes comes from you. God, this rent, this mortgage is paid. But I didn't really pay it. This is your money. You paid that. God, I realize that. So I don't take your provision for granted. I'm depending on you. Somehow, I haven't lost my mind on my kids this time. But only because of you. Continue to trust. Continue in his word. Oh, my goodness. We got to be Bible readers, people. We have become, we are a biblically illiterate generation of people. I'm not coming for your neck. I I preached at my uncle's funeral, and it was a a, a lot of older saints there. Um, They don't have theological degrees. They don't have Google. I mean, they have it, but they, I mean, (laughs) what do you do when you're 70, all right? They they don't don't have all the, the resources and the apps and Bible app. They don't know what that is, right? But I couldn't even complete my sentences of Scripture, they were completing it for me. I'm like, this is, ama- is amazing. They might not have had the resources, but they had the thing that they needed. They, they, something about already having received the word when it's preached that connects, it, it, makes the, it, it makes the union that more greater. Right, right. We have to read the word, continue in the word. If you really are my disciples, is what Jesus says. I love the way Dr. Eugene Peterson put it. He says, meditating on God's word is like what a dog does with a bone. By prayer and through the Holy Spirit, you gnaw and chew on God's word until it metabolizes and gets into your bloodstream. You take it in and you expect it to nourish you. But we treat God's word like it's some hot gumbo. Woo! And we don't do it anymore. But we should drink it down. And lastly, the way we abide is by continuing to pray. We have this vibrant prayer life in the presence of God. And let me say this. We don't have to remain. We get to remain. God is not something to do. He's a person to be in a relationship with. I'm coming to church. I got to do God. No, you don't do God. 
He's not something to do. He's not a subject matter. He's a person that we enter into a relationship with. And the fruit, and the fruit of the, the fruit is a byproduct of remaining in him. We can't produce fruit apart from him. But if we remain, here's the good news. It brings me to my fourth point. Verse 7 says, ask whatever you want to be done for you. Number four, God's plan includes, includes purposeful prayer. Number four, God's plan includes purposeful prayer. There's an authority that is inherent in our relationship with Jesus, and, and, and we get this through prayer. And, and so let me say this. You read verse 7, ask whatever you want to be done for you. Oh, I'm praying that tomorrow. <laughs> ask whatever you want is not a blank check for you to spend on whatever you want. It's not what that means. It's an invitation to pray the way that Christ prays. To, 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 if, if you remain tethered to Christ, who's the vine, gradually our desires will align with his desires. We'll embrace what he embraces. We'll desire what he desires. We will want what he wants. We will love what he loves. And so we will start praying like he prays. So we pray for what he prays for because we love what he loves and we find joy in what he finds joy in, which leads me to my fifth and final point. And I'm done. Point number five, God's plan includes joyful obedience. Verses 8 through 11 says this, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As a Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. couple things I want to say about this. Number one, the goal of all things is he says that my Father is glorified that you, when you produce fruit and prove to be my disciples. Our fruit is not about us, but our fruit is about bringing glory to God. Producing fruit actually brings God the honor that he deserves. We testify. Our fruitfulness testifies to the goodness of God. When, when the world witnesses our transformation and the way we live, they have no choice but to ascribe Glory to God. There should, be, there should be a time in your Christian walk where somebody that you used to know in your past life, somebody that you were friends with or still are friends with, they, they see you post Jesus and they can't believe it's you. Like, what happened to you? You don't want to, you're not down to, we about to, but you don't, really? What happened? Jesus happened. Because he transforms us. And so we make ourselves at home in him when we remain. And we do this by obeying his commands. Right? And, and here's the thing we need to know about obeying Jesus. It's not like I'm, I'm going to obey him and therefore I'll be in good standing with him. No, I'm obeying him because he already demonstrated to me that he loves me. So if he tells me something to do, I know it has to be rooted in his love for me. He would not mislead me. We have to stop approaching God's commands as if God is somebody who's trying to harm us. God is not a bad parent. God is not a bad influence. God is not somebody that's going to lead us wrong. 
God says, the, the scripture says, Romans 5, 8, Romans 5, 8, yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us before we did anything. He loved us first. So if he loved us first, wouldn't he tell us something rooted in love that will be for our flourishing? God's commands are not to harm you, but to flourish you. You need to know this. We need to believe without a shadow of a doubt that God's commands for us are rooted in love. And so we don't have to disdain it. We can joyfully obey what he tells us to obey. Because the love of God is not a love of works. It's not legalism. It's grace. We keep the commands not to earn our salvation, but to experience genuine salvation. You know when you experience salvation? When you do what God tells you to do, and you're not sure how it's going to work out, but you trust him. And you experience his salvation because you will know that he provides for you right there where you didn't think you could do it. Right where I think I'm weak. I'm, gonna, I'm tempted, but I'm going to obey right here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to obey this time. And I'm going to experience the salvation of God because he's going to come through for me right here. Because he wouldn't mislead me. So we can joyfully obey his commands because our relationship with God is not a burden. It's a blessing. God has called us to be fruitful. So if there's any resolution that you're going to have this year, it's going to be that I remain connected to the vine. No matter where I go, where I end up, throughout this year where I experience loss, success, disappointment, celebration, I'm going to remain in him. Because this year I want to be fruitful. I want to be fruitful. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to do the things that he cares about. I want my agenda to be his agenda. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, God will help us to do everything that he's called us to do. Because we've been called to fruitfulness. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.